research tells us that the average Australian adult will spend the equivalent of 17 years of their life on their phones. Welcome to today's podcast. This is an episode that I think some people will likely want to turn away from because it's one of those topics that it's like we know, we know that we need to do better. And I'm speaking in we's because I feel like collectively, for most of us, we do know that we use our phones probably too much. We do know that we rely on technology probably too much. And we also don't want to feel bad about it because there are so many other things in life that we already feel bad about that it's like, you know what? I just don't need that layer of guilt. But let me assure you that today's conversation, whilst it is centered around, you know, developing better habits when it comes to technology use, this is not an episode that you're going to leave feeling bad about how much you use technology. Dr. Christy Goodwin has been on the podcast before, and I'm a really big fan of the work that she does and the way that she shares information because she doesn't demonize technology. Dr. Christy is very realistic in the way of acknowledging that we do, you know, need our phones. We do love our phones. They do have a lot of value. But Christy also talks about how it's really important to check in with ourselves and acknowledge is this device that we often have in our hot little hands like 23 hours a day, um, is this device adding to my life or is it taking away? And so in our conversation today, there are lots of conversation starters that you can take off and have conversations with your own loved ones. You know, I think just turning to your loved one at some point after this episode and saying, hey, did you realize that we are going to spend X amount of years looking at our phone. How do you feel about that? What do you think we could do better in terms of, you know, mitigating some of the stresses that come along with having technology so readily available? So if your first impulse when you saw the title of this episode was to turn away and go, oh, I don't want to feel bad about myself because I love my phone, just know that you're in good company and it's definitely not an episode that's going to make you feel terrible. It's just an episode that's hopefully going to make you want to have that little self-audit and check in with yourself and go, you know what? Am I overwhelmed? Am I feeling stressed and exhausted? Could this be something else that is adding to that stress? And can I improve things? by establishing some healthier boundaries with technology. So that is what's coming up in today's episode with Dr. Christy Goodwin. As I mentioned, Christy has been on the podcast in the past. We've had conversations surrounding uh, meltdowns with kids and devices, and I will link to some previous episodes, and I have recorded another episode with Dr. Christy, which I will share shortly as well, because, you know, navigating screen time as a parent can be really tricky. There are so many of us who we're just like doing our best and you're straddling this line where it's like, you know what, they need technology because they live in a day and age now where technology 
is just part of their everyday existence. You know, lots of schools have iPads versus straddling this line of like, well, we didn't have that in our day. And what are the skill sets that they're missing out on if they're spending too much time on their devices? And I don't have all of the answers, but Dr. Christie certainly has some of them. And she's got lots of evidence-based approaches as well. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we get into that, though, before I press play on my conversation with Christy, there's something that I wanted to share with you here in this introduction, and it's not something that's super pleasant at all to talk about, but it's something I wanted to uh, include here because I know that we have a really great community of people listening right now, and there's a family uh, that really needs our support. I very rarely uh, ask for your help in terms of donations and monetary support, but I wanted to include this in our introduction. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about a little boy called Caleb. But before I do that, the reason that Caleb has been brought to my attention is because my mum is best friends with one of Caleb's grandparents. And a lot of you have asked recently, you know, How did my mum and I reconnect? Because there was a period of time there where we did not talk. And I haven't gone into the reconnecting story. And I don't think I necessarily will. I'll just say that having Brendan in my life has changed my outlook on lots of things. And I'm sure a lot of you will know Brendan's mum passed away when he was a teenager. And because of that massive loss that still affects him so much, He does often talk about the importance of saying what you need to say and connecting with the people that are important to you and letting go of certain things. And so in reconnecting with my mum and, you know, forming a friendship again, mum brought this up with me because there's no way that you can hear this story and not be impacted by it. And, you know, recently mum stayed over and we just kept found our, kept finding ourselves talking about this family and what this family's going through. And you just feel helpless and hopeless and you want to wave a wand and you want to make it better and you just don't know really what to do. And so all I can do is share with you this GoFundMe link and a little bit of Caleb's story and ask you if you do feel compelled to do so, if you can spare a couple of dollars, a couple of dollars goes a long way towards supporting this family. It will make a big difference to them. This podcast gets heard by 100,000 people a month. Um, You know, if a few listeners can spare a couple of dollars, it's going to add up. Absolutely. So as I said, my mum brought this to my attention. This is one of her best friend's grandchildren. And like mum just kept saying and crying, you know, as a grandmother, 
it's just unimaginable that this is happening to your grandchild and also unimaginable that your child is going through this with their own child. So Caleb um, is four and he was diagnosed in April last year with a type of cancer. It's a type of tumor. He's done radiation and all was going well until March of this year. Um, until Caleb presented to emergency in pain with a bad cough. Uh, Further testing and scans were taken and they found out on the 17th of March that Caleb's cancer had spread. Caleb started radiation and chemotherapy and the family was told that was the only way that they could buy any more time with him. So Caleb's only been given weeks or months to live at four years old. And in his mum's word on the mum's words on the GoFundMe page, he will not get to experience double digits or his 18th birthday. He won't experience being a dad or a partner. His older sister won't get to watch him grow up and to do all the annoying things that a younger brother should absolutely be doing. Caleb's already started to lose his hair and the burns from radiation and chemotherapy have started which is, of course, incredibly uncomfortable for him and causing him a great deal of pain. Cancer and kids should not be in the same sentence. It's just heartbreaking to think about what this family's going through. Um, In the words of Caleb's oncologist, it is an extraordinarily rare type of cancer for a three-year-old, four-year-old to be diagnosed with. Um, And the family... They just want to do the best that they can to support him and enjoy time with him. Like my mum was talking about how Caleb at four keeps saying he's really excited for Halloween. And like imagine your child saying that they're so excited for Halloween and not knowing that they're going to get to see Halloween. And so I know the family are really focused on providing Caleb with as many experiences as possible and creating as many memories as possible, not only uh, for them and for Caleb, but certainly for his older sister as well. It's just devastating. I just, you know, and if you go onto this page, the link will be in the show notes. He's just such a cutie. Um, There's a photo of him sat there with a a budgie on his head and he's just your normal four-year-old kid, right? Like he's just a little boy and he should not be in this situation, and it's unimaginable. You know, there won't be a parent listening right now who doesn't feel heartbroken. There won't be a human who doesn't feel heartbroken at the thought of this. So the GoFundMe page uh, was created to raise money for the family so that they can afford to take some time off work. They're driving 40, 45 minutes each way to the hospital for treatment, on top of, you know, of course, hospital parking, petrol, just the expenses. Like life is so expensive right now. And that's why I don't take it lightly asking you guys to support this GoFundMe page and support this family. Um, I think a lot of people are struggling financially. And so this page was created to support the family um, and just give them some resources make some more resources available so that they can create more memories with Caleb. So I will put a link in the show notes directly there. A couple of dollars will add up and go a long way. It's an incredibly heartbreaking story. Um, And yeah, 
That's all. That's all, team. Just wanted to include that in the intro. All right. I will now switch gears and press play on my conversation with Dr. Christie. Dr. Christie, thank you so much for agreeing to come back onto the podcast and chat with me about all things digital and tech habits. Thank you for having me. I'll have you every day. I always enjoy speaking (laughs) with you. I think you have a real way of sharing helpful information through a very compassionate lens because often with this sort of topic, this sort of content, it's very polarizing and people will shy away from it because we don't want to feel shame. We don't want to feel guilt. We don't want someone pointing out how often we're on our phone because it feels like a lifeline and it can feel like, oh, just leave me alone and let me scroll. Um, But I think everything in your book, and I know the things we're going to touch on today, it's all stuff that we need to be cognizant of. We need to be mindful of what's going on so that we can feel really fulfilled and really feel really happy and look after ourselves. Yeah. And can I acknowledge from the outset, I don't get this right all the time. And the reason I wrote the book is because my digital habits were totally out of control. Even though this is something I research and speak about, um, I had several years ago um, been to Singapore to deliver a keynote and I landed back at Sydney Airport and did what everybody does at the the terminal, baggage terminal, and pulled out my phone. And I saw, I think it was 88 unread emails. And I thought, I'll triage those in the taxi on the ride home fell asleep in the taxi, got home. um, And when I opened the lid on my laptop, it had blown out to 144 emails. Now, at the time, I only had two children, um, since have acquired a third. But um, at the time, my second son, Billy, was about 15 months of age. Now, I had ambitiously scheduled a video call. So this was back in the age when we did video calls on Skype and that was, you know, the latest technology. And I had ambitiously scheduled a Skype call during his expected nap time. But because I'd been away for two nights, Billy decided he was not having a nap. Um, So I opened the lid on my laptop and I saw that awful 144 unread email icon and I got digitally distracted and I wasn't supervising Billy. Now at 15 months of age, he was climbing on the lounge adjacent to where I was sort of triaging the avalanche of emails. I became so digitally distracted that I wasn't watching Billy and he fell face first off the lounge, smashing his face on the ground, requiring urgent hospitalisation. And still to this day, he has a little scar on his lip that's a tangible reminder to me about what the potential cost could have been. Now, he was fine um, and there were no long-term consequences, but here was I as an adult, as somebody who, you know, researches and speaks about digital wellbeing and digital distraction, who got sucked into the digital vortex. And so it really was the catalyst for me to say, hang on, for so long we've been wagging our finger at kids and teens saying you're addicted and you can't put it down. But for many of us as adults, we don't have really good digital habits and behaviours. So I am not perfect um, and this is not an anti-tech message. It's all about how can we sort of live with the technology but in healthy and helpful ways. It's so true, isn't it? I know I'm very mindful of my boys and how much time they spend on screens. I really limit their screen time. I would be mortified if they carried around a screen in the way that I carry around my phone. I take my phone with me everywhere and for no reason, like for no reason, I would say 70% of the time, it's just in my hand. It is glued to me. And I think everyone listening will be like, yeah, that's how we are too. 
We are. And um, in the book, I talk about a statistic that just blew my mind. And it was a statistic that said um, that research tells us that the average Australian adult will spend the equivalent of 17 years of their life on their phones. That's not our laptops, our desktop computers, the TVs, and let's think about all the new technologies that are going to be on our doorstep in next to no time. 17 years of our life on our phone. The two things that we never get back as humans, our two most important resources are our time and our attention. And our kids have something in their brain called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons mean we're biologically designed to imitate and copy. And, you know, are we being good digital role models? Yes, often we do have to be on our phones for work. We are organizing play dates. We're paying bills. It's not about saying never use it around your kids, but be really mindful. Are you missing the micro moments with your kids because you're tethered to your device? Yeah, it is such a divisive topic, isn't it? And it can be hard to chat about it without demonizing technology. But I think it's so worth considering because when you just said 17 years, Christy, I was like 17 years. And it's not as though when I'm on my phone, I'm having excessive, meaningful conversations. I'm usually just looking at something that isn't going to serve me. It's a bit of escapism. It's pulling me out of the moment. It's not like, oh, that's 17 years well spent because I've been having enriching conversations. It's like far out. That's 17 years wasted. And also looking away, looking away from the people that are actually the most important. Yeah. And I have permission to share this story, but a mum told me once she'd picked her daughter up from after school care and her daughter turned and said to her mum, mummy, how much do you earn per hour? And her mum thought it was a question about her career prospects. And she said, look, sweetheart, I earn a salary. I, I need to calculate my hourly rate. She tucked her daughter into bed that night, having done her calculation of what her hourly rate is. And she said, why do you ask, sweetheart? And this young girl turned and said to her mum, because I'd like to buy an hour of your time without your phone. Even in the heart. Isn't it? And But it's so applicable to so many of us. And I, I just, I, I don't want us to get to the end of our lives and go, I, I let my time and attention be stolen from me, from my devices. Yes, we need to use them. You know, it's not about doing a digital detox. It's not about going laptopless, giving up your social media. Those technologies are here to stay. But how can we sort of leverage the benefits without suffering the negative consequences as well? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Just recently, I heard in a podcast interview with a comedian, with Jerry Seinfeld, and I'm not a Seinfeld fan at all, but he was on the Armchair Expert podcast, mm-hmm. and he brought up this concept that he's kind of used in his stand-up where he said, no one wants to be anywhere. He's like, think about it. As an adult, yeah. no one wants to be anywhere, you know, like even... And it just made me think, you know, like you're racing to get to a holiday because you're like, oh, I can't wait to be on holiday But then I know my experience often of being on holiday is, well, it's just real life in a nicer location, 
but I still am mindful of like, oh, I've still got to make sure they're eating and what time are they going to go to bed and what time do we have to be back at the airport? And I can't wait to get home actually so that I can do the laundry from this holiday (laughs) that I'm meant to be enjoying. And it's like, we're never enjoying where we are because we're always perpetually living in the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And that kind of has stuck in my brain in terms of thinking about my phone, of being like, oh, our phones are an escape. So if I'm stood in the kitchen and the boys are chatting to me, and let me tell you, Christy, at the moment, one of them is (laughs) freaking obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons and I'm about to (laughs) jump in front of a train. But he will be like, like peppering me about Dungeons and Dragons And I will just subconsciously pick up my phone and start scrolling. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be anywhere. But really, like, you know, that whole concept of no one wants to be anywhere. And I'll think about that. I'll go, hang on, where is it that I want to be? And no, I don't want to be listening to Dungeons and Dragons, but I do want my son to feel like he is important. So I'll put the phone down and I'll slide it to the other end of the bench and I'll turn to him. But yeah, just that concept of like, we use our phones to take us away from where we are but that's because we don't want to be anywhere. <laughs> yeah. My mum, several years ago when I was having a bit of a tough trot with one of my kids and it was, it was I had two kids, it, there was a lot happening for me with work. My mum used to say to me in such sage advice, be where your feet are, like be where your feet are. And I think today we can physically be somewhere, you know, we can be watching our kids at soccer practice, but dealing with a crisis in the office on our phones. You know, we can be at swimming lessons, but trying to use that 30 minutes of hopefully uninterrupted time, unless they need to go to the bathroom to get the groceries done or reply to the 28 SMS that we've never got round to. And I worry that we will miss you know, the micro moments of connection, you know, when your son or daughter finally nails the tumble turn at swimming lessons, you know, after 28 weeks of lessons and they come up and their caps off and their goggles are filled with water and they look up at you to give you the thumbs up. But we've missed those little micro moments. And again, it's not about never using devices around our kids. Of course we need to, but I think we have to and again, I want to point out, it's not our fault. Like the fact that we get sucked into that digital vortex is often because of the way the tech's been designed. Um, you know, we keep scrolling social media even when we don't want to because we enter something called the state of insufficiency. We never feel dumb. There's always another post, another image, another um, tab we can open. So we never feel dumb. The fact that notifications come to us trick us into thinking that they're urgent and important. So it's not all our fault, but I think we have to be so so much more intentional about resisting the urge to get drawn into that vortex. Even just understanding that social media is designed in the way that like a pokies machine was designed to give you that dopamine hit of, you know, of the pokies machine, you pull the, pull the lever down, the ones I'm thinking of. Um, You know, we, we run our thumb down a screen. It's the same sort of refresh. And I remember hearing somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but it's like, they don't actually need us to do that to refresh it, but it was designed to give us that feeling of dopamine of quick refresh. Let's see, has anyone liked something? Yep. Is there a new post to see? Is there a message? It's this loop of like, oh, I want the next hit. I want the next hit. So we stay like these rats on a wheel. And as you've said, we're never going to get to the bottom of it. 
No. And, you know, even other techniques like the fact that our notification bubble is usually red. Red is a psychological trigger for danger, urgency and importance. The fact there's usually a metric in it declaring how many unread DMs or emails you have drives our behaviour. So there's a whole lot of things that's working against us and that, that you know, makes the, the technology so appealing. And let's face it, for a lot of adults, real life is very monotonous. It's very repetitive. The online world is often escapism, you know, and we get, as you said, the, that dopamine hits. We also know that that dopamine overrides the part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that helps us make good decisions. So the part that part of our brain helps us regulate our behaviour. Now, when we're doing something fun or pleasurable, scrolling social media, you know, getting away all the Teams chats or Slack messages that have built up. We get that hit of dopamine and it stops us from regulating our behaviour. So we keep scrolling or we keep replying and so we get stuck in this digital cycle. It's almost like we've been primed now, well, not almost like, we have been primed, right, to find boredom intolerable. Yes, totally. Because and it's the moment, you know, we're in the car and the light goes red, you might have the impulse yeah. to um, scroll on your phone or your partner's driving and you're finding a boring or whatever it is, waiting at swimming lesson, swimming lessons, all of those things. It's like we find it so uncomfortable to be bored. We have and we feel every single bit of white space these days with our digital devices. You know, we wait at the coffee shop and what for the barista to make our coffee and we pull up our phones. We wait at the bus stop. Now, in years gone by, we used to do something, colloquially we used to call it daydreaming. Neuroscientists call it the default mode network. I don't know about you, Kylie, but I have never, ever had a great idea or solved a complex problem in an Excel spreadsheet or in my inbox. Where do your good ideas come? Oh, no, no, no. Mine is always okay. exercising, movement. Yep. If I'm yep. running, if I'm working out, so I keep a whiteboard with my workout and then a spare whiteboard to write ideas Your down ideas. on. Love yeah. that. And we know why. When we move, we research call it, calls it forward ambulation. But when we basically engage in any sort of physical movement, it shuts down our amygdala. And the amygdala in our brain is sort of the emotional hub. So when we dampen down our, our emotional hub of our brain, we can activate this default mode network. So we can daydream, we can mind wander. And that's why we come up with a genius idea or a solution to a problem. You know, that problem you spent months agonizing over and all of a sudden it just drops in a solution. We enter those moments when we are digitally disconnected, when we're on a plane with no Wi-Fi, when we go on holidays without internet access, when we're going for a swim or a run um, or having a shower or first thing in the morning. But very few of us have any time in our days or very little time in our days where we mind wander. You know, we go for a walk now with a podcast on at one and a half speed. Um, we wait at the doctor's surgery or the supermarket and we're pulling out all, all our, our devices and consuming something. So we just... There's so much value and it doesn't have to be hours at a time and it's not about doing a digital detox. It's just about having intentional small little pockets on your day of your day when you can just have those idle thoughts. Yeah, so incredibly important. Because it has just become part of our second nature to have our device strapped to us and to always be engaging in different tabs, 
what are some symptoms that we're digitally cooked? Like, because we don't even know, what are some things that people might be feeling that they haven't quite connected the dots and gone, oh, maybe this is because I'm spending too much time on a screen? Yeah. So I use the term digital burnout. And I think that so many people, um, burnout in its simplest definition is unresolved stress. And I think our tech habits are leading to many of us feeling stressed, exhausted, and overwhelmed. And we don't even realize why. And the reason is, I think two things have happened at the same time time. The first thing that has happened is that our tech habits, professionally and personally, have added a whole lot of little micro stresses to our days. Now, on their own, these little stressors are really insignificant. But the problem is these micro stresses permeate our days now from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep. Things like alerts and notifications. We have a brain that's designed to go and get or forage or seek information But in our online world where information is constantly coming to us, DMs, alerts, notifications, they trick our brain into thinking that they're urgent and important and they're a stressor. Um, Video calls. So many people are doing video meetings these days. Multitasking. Um, Even the way we look at a screen. When we look at a screen, and it doesn't matter if it's our phone or our laptop, our eyes um, narrow. We have a very narrow gaze. Now, biologically as humans, when we have a very narrow gaze, we trigger the stress response because as humans, we are biologically designed to look in the distance. We are designed to dilate our gaze. Yet we're spending hours of our time looking at our screen. So we've added these micro stresses. The second thing that's happened at the same time is that our tech habits have completely eroded, I might even say annihilated, some of the biological buffers that used to naturally be baked into our days as humans that helped us manage stress and bring us back to a baseline. We used to sleep a whole lot more and a lot better than what we do today. We used to be far more physically active than what we are today. Um, We used to have so much more time for human connection. Um, And the big one is the way we breathe. When we're on our screens... As humans, we are designed to sigh every five minutes. And we don't even realize that we're doing it while we're awake, but we every five minutes, we are expected to sigh. And this is our body's natural way of regulating our oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. But when we're looking at a screen, and again, it doesn't matter if it's a phone or your laptop, our sigh rate falls off the cliff. What does this tell us? We are breathing in totally different ways and, again, activating that stress response. There's a condition called email apnea, literally where we have studied what happens when people go into their inboxes. We dump cortisol, our heart rate accelerates, our pupils dilate. We are physiologically having a stress response. So it's the interplay between these two things. We've added a whole lot of little micro stresses and we've annihilated some of the buffers that used to help us manage stress And this is why I think so many of us are burnt out um, and fatigued and distracted. And just snappier in general, right? Like just less of a tolerance for when our kids are speaking with us or our partner's trying to make a bid for connection or something goes awry, you know, like my dog's next to me, you know, and she's forever doing little things. But when I'm feeling maxed out, that's when it's like, oh, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's yeah. the thing that makes you have no resilience. But it's because you're using up all of your resilience just to kind of fend off this barrage of notifications. 
Totally. So what you're describing there is when our nervous system has become completely dysregulated and we're in what we call the sympathetic nervous system state. So our, our sympathetic response is, is dominant. So we will become really easily agitated. Um, we become a- a- aggressive at really trivial things that would ordinarily sort of be water, like water off a duck's back. So our capacity to deal with stress is already diminished. But when we add these little micro stresses and we get rid of these buffers, our, our stress tolerance is also dramatically um, reduced. I know that you have a book full of things that are going to be helpful for our listeners. If there was just one or two takeaways for our listeners right now on this topic, what would those two action items be? Okay. First one is that when you want to be present with your partner, you want to connect with your kids, you want to get some deep focused work done, put your phone somewhere where you cannot see it. A study was done that found that even if our phone is on silent and face down, if we can see it, so if it's still in our line of sight, if it's still on the bench or next to our desk um, or on the dinner table or at the restaurant where we can see it, it drops our cognitive performance by an estimated 10%. It literally is a brain drain. So putting it in a drawer, putting it in your bag, putting it in another room um, can really make um, a profound difference. So that would be my first one. Um, The second one that I think we have forgotten, and I'm so glad you identified that you come up with your great ideas when you're physically active. As humans, we are so much more sedentary this these days because we're sitting down with our devices. And when we move, we make a whole lot of neurochemicals that make us feel good and help us focus. We make dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, just a whole lot of things that really help us feel good and focus. Now, the good news is um, that that if we do small little bursts of physical movement, this can give us an increase in those neurochemicals. The problem is that today, most people are sitting down for far more than five hours a day. Now, the really scary thing is that new research has just been done that tells us that even if we meet the government guidelines, which are a a suggested level of 180 minutes of cardiovascular activity a week, so over the course of seven days, you should have roughly about 180 minutes. So this is called zone two cardio, and it's basically anything where you're a little bit breathless, a brisk walk, a run, Um, anything that that sort of increases your heart rate. Now, even if you're adhering to that 180-minute recommendation, if you sit for more than five hours a day, which many of us do, those benefits are completely wiped out. They're completely nullified. The good news, however, is you don't have to go and do another F45 class. You don't need to start running twice a day or doing an extra Pilates class. The good news is that if you break up your sedentary sitting with three to four 10-minute walks, that is enough to counter those negative effects. So we just, I think, again, we used to be so much more, inter, you know, physically active. We used to carry the groceries from the shop to the car and then from the car into the house. And now we have online delivery and just that incidental movement's been lost. So we have to be, I think, more vigilant about moving um, so much more than what we are. I love that. That, that advice of just getting up and moving for a short little burst, I think is so important. It's something I've just recently identified for myself is after doing an hour, an hour and 20 of sitting down and working, I just walk my dog around the block. And it's like a, it's a very short walk. She loves it. And I know for me, I come back and I'm like, okay, I can focus now. And I thought that was more of an ADHD thing and it probably does pair with it. But even just knowing, yeah, knowing how important that is. 
Yeah. The other thing I want to point out there is that it is definitely, you know, people with ADHD do tend to need a lot more smaller sprints. The other thing is that as humans, we actually have a biological rhythm called an ultradian rhythm. And an ultradian rhythm means that we go through energy peaks and troughs roughly every 90 minutes. This is why we sleep in 90 minute cycles, because it is sort of that, that rhythm that runs through our day. So we are not designed to work in marathons. We never have been. We are designed to do a sprint and then have a break. So your cadence is almost like the ideal operational cadence to to do a period of work and then do something restorative and then go back in. But so many of us today sit down at our desks and we just work and work and work. And so we're working against our biology that way. Yes. And I'm fortunate enough that I do have that flexibility because I work from home. Not everyone has that flexibility. You know, there'll be people out there who can't get up and go for a walk around the block per se, but perhaps it's even getting up and walking to fill up your water bottle or a quick lap around the office or whatever it is, a quick lap to the toilet. Yeah. And and when you're in the toilet, you know, do some extra squats or lunges or walk the long way to the printer um, or go, you know, an extra block to a different coffee shop. There are simple things that we can all do. Um, if you do have the luxury of working at home, I know you certainly don't want to do this in front of your colleagues, but standing up from your desk and just doing some squats or some dips or having a resistance band nearby, um, anything that we can do that will be physically active will really have a big impact on our well-being and our productivity as well. So good. As I said, you've got a whole book, which is just filled to the brim with information that's actually going to be very helpful. And again, it's delivered through a very compassionate and realistic lens. I know that with your book, readers will learn how to establish digital boundaries, to adopt neuroproductivity principles, disable digital distractions, and most importantly, perhaps to unplug for rest and recovery. Your book, Dear Digital, We Need to Talk, it's a guilt-free guide to taming tech habits and thriving in a distracted world. Where can our listeners get their hands on a copy? So it is in most airports throughout Australia. It is in most big bookstores um, and it's also available at all the usual online bookstores and as well through my website. Amazing. And where can our listeners find you on Instagram if they're not already following you? Yes. So I am on Instagram. Um, For people in the workplace, I do a lot of work um, or share a lot of information on LinkedIn um, and also on my website at drchristygoodwin.com. Amazing. I'll have all of those links in our show notes. Christy, thank you so much for taking the time today to share your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.